our way through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus' sermon, the greatest sermon is ever preached, and we're again in the fifth chapter of Matthew. We're in that portion of the Sermon on the Mount entitled the Beatitudes. So if you will find the fifth chapter, and our text this morning is verse 7. Verse 7. That single beatitude is the one from which we will uh, go forward with the exposition of it and uh, Matthew 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. My title this morning is Mercy for the Miserable. Because of 20 centuries of Christian influence, we're not unaccustomed to expressions of mercy in our world, especially in the West, especially in our own country. Christian people are not the only ones who know the story of the Good Samaritan, for example. It's a story of mercy, among other things. Secular people know this story as well. There is an organization, in fact, called Mercy Ships. Perhaps you're familiar with it. It boasts a fleet of 57 vessels that provide medical care to impoverished populations in various places in our world. Such mercy has not always been the case in the world, however. Rather, mercilessness has dominated. Mercilessness was epitomized in the remark of a Roman philosopher who said this, Mercy is a disease of the soul. He and his ilk saw mercy as a weakness. One who is merciful doesn't have what it takes to be a real man, much less a real Roman. Man's creator, however, rebuts that view, the view that mercy is an expression of weakness. How, you may ask? Well, mercy is an attribute of the omnipotent one. The Almighty is merciful. Mercy is a part of his essential being. It is a part of his character. From the book, Biblical Theology, a systematic summary of biblical truth, we are provided a definition of divine mercy. This is it. The mercy of God describes him as having a perfectly deep compassion for his creatures. He demonstrates benevolent goodness to those in a pitiable or miserable condition. End of quote. Scripture in both Testaments bear out this aspect of God's nature. What I just read to you is grounded in Scripture. It is not the mere speculation or thoughts of uh, theologians, but it is God's own revelation of himself. Exodus 34, verse 6, don't turn there, just listen. His name, he enumerates some things, he's gracious, he is compassionate. In Exodus 26, 20 and verse 6, his mercy is manifold. And the word there is loving kindness, and it is the idea of mercy. It's 
covenant loyalty. It's love that extends mercy. His mercy is unfailing. Lamentations 3.22, his mercy does not fail. His mercy is fatherly. Mercy or compassion is an aspect of his uh, paternal affection and care uh, to those who revere him. Psalm 103, verse 13. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, he is the source. God is. Paul calls him the father of mercies. Mercy, then, characterizes God in his dealings with mankind. The ones on blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, are the ones who have been on the receiving end of divine mercy. You say, well, how is this so? Salvation. And that's the first heading. The highest and most important expression of God's mercy to his creatures is their salvation from sin and its consequences. Mercy and grace, or grace and mercy, are cherished concepts to Christians. They're more than just ideas. They're not abstract things. They are real things because we have personally experienced the grace and mercy of God. They're realities. Concretized in our daily experience, in our experience in relation to him. Grace and mercy are spiritual offspring from the same parent. They are similar to one another. You know, sometimes siblings look a lot alike. They can be alike in some ways. But they are distinguished from one another. So are these spiritual offspring, our siblings, grace and mercy. They have, if you will, their own personalities. How so? Grace is God's reaction to our sinfulness. He acted on our behalf to give us what we did not deserve. Salvation. Grace is associated with our sins. Mercy is especially associated with our misery. The result of the consequence of our sin. Mercy is divine pity plus action. God didn't just pity us. He acted on our behalf. He did not just feel compassion toward us, but moved to deliver us from our miserable condition. The condition which we brought ourselves in, or brought on ourselves in our rebellion against him, right? Mercy, then, now notice the distinction. Mercy relates to the negative. Mercy says, no hell. Grace says, heaven. Mercy says, I pity you. Grace says, I pardon you. Grace and mercy are like the negative and positive post on a car's battery. Both are needed for the engine of salvation to function. Both divine grace and mercy locked hands, as it were, to bring about our salvation. Mercy's role, 
It's clear in Scripture. As you take a little excursion through it, you can see it. If you'll underline it and think about it, mercy's role in our salvation is critical. It was crucial, in fact. It says this, when we were spiritually dead, Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Parenthetically, Paul writes, by grace you have been saved. Grace is joined with mercy. God was rich in mercy. Aren't you glad? We were dead and he made us alive. Spiritually resurrected us. We were in our transgressions. We deserved to, deserved to stay in our dead condition. We deserved to go to eternal death. But God in his mercy had mercy on us. Spiritually resurrected us. Titus 3, 5. We didn't earn the salvation. Do get this. It says there in that text 3, 5 of Titus, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his, you know the word, mercy. Mercy, part and parcel of the new birth. 1 Peter 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his mercy, great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Supernatural transformation. The new birth bound up in God's mercy to us. He withheld from us the just due of our sin he withheld from us the punishment that we deserve he withheld from us and all that any sinner deserves from god is nothing but the lake of fire instead god gave us grace mercy withhold grace giving mercy's role is clear in our salvation it's clear one more thing needs to be said about mercy and we need to really understand how remarkable and wonderful mercy is. And because actually, when you understand God is sovereign in this, when you understand that he didn't have to save anybody, that ought to elevate your thanksgiving and praise to God for the mercy he extended to you. You say, how's that, brother? It was sovereignly initiated and bestowed on us. Romans 9.15 says this, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I have compassion on whom I have compassion. This is the reality. God didn't owe us anything. When we sin, when man fell, God didn't owe us anything but justice. He didn't owe us love. He didn't owe us grace. He didn't owe us mercy. He didn't owe us anything but his wrath. But God in his sovereignty chose to extend mercy to us. His sovereign choice. Get this, salvation is entirely dependent on the grace and mercy of God. It is not dependent upon us. There is nothing we could do to elicit from him mercy. There is nothing that we could have done that made God say, I am going to choose to save them. Mm -mm. You've got to keep something in mind. God's in charge. 
And you need to grasp that about grasp that about our Savior, about our God, that He is in charge. Therefore, all glory about goes to Him. That's why we give Him glory. It's His choice, not ours. And by the way, Romans nine calls the say vessels of mercy. That's a good title for us, isn't it? Vessels of mercy. I love that one. Because that's all we are, vessels of mercy. Now in our text, here Jesus is enunciating these beatitudes, these blessings that have come to us by his grace. We're the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. We're the ones who are the beneficiaries of divine mercy. We're the ones who are in his kingdom. In fact, it says in verse 3, it says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The blessed are the poor. And we're the poor in spirit and all the rest through here. We're in the kingdom. God had mercy on us. You need to understand something about this reality. There was a time when this wasn't a reality for us. First Peter chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There was a time when we were without the mercy of God. We were living in his world in our miserable condition, sinful uh, enemies of God on our way to hell. And then God intervened with his mercy. That's why we're the merciful now. We're merciful because we receive mercy. You see, this beatitude here in uh, Matthew 5, 7 does not stand alone. Do understand something about Jesus. He didn't preach haphazardly. Martin Lloyd-Jones tells us he didn't just speak this word and that word. It made sense. It connected. In fact, he did not just string sayings together that are unrelated to one another. These Beatitudes relate their logical progression. In fact, this Beatitude, the one we're looking at this morning, verse 7, comes out of the first four. If the first four are not in place, then this one, the fifth one, wouldn't be there. If we weren't what we are in verse 3, in verse 4, in verse 5, in verse 6, verse 7 wouldn't apply to us at all either. Further, the whole context describes the character and disposition of the Christian. If you want to know what a Christian is, look at what the Beatitudes say. That's what Christians are. The life has been changed. An example is given to us of this fact by John Stott says this, quote, it is the meek or gentle who are also the merciful, 
For to be meek is to acknowledge to others that we are sinners. To be merciful is to have compassion on others. For they are sinners too. End of quote. You know, you need to recognize who you are. That will inform how you relate to other people. When you see sinners, understand that's what they are. Sinners just like you once were. You're in the same condition. What's fascinating here, though, uh, as we look at our Lord's words here, he is the most merciful person who ever lived, but he was not a sinner. He was mercy incarnate. Even as he was love incarnate, even as he was grace incarnate, he fleshed out these concepts. They found full embodiment in his life. He was merciful to sinners. He sought them out. He didn't shy away from them. He didn't put up a barrier between himself and them. He was around them. In Matthew chapter 9, in verse 11, you can turn there if you like, because I'm going to spend a moment there. I want you to see something. Jesus, in the minds of the scribes and Pharisees, had the audacity to eat with tax collectors and sinners. They couldn't abide that. And what Jesus does in response to their viewpoint is to reprimand them. They made their complaint, these religious people, and asking disciples in verse 11, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? I find it interesting they wouldn't go ask Jesus. It wasn't Jesus, I don't believe. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have a little humor Uh, (laughs) now in verse 12 but when Jesus heard this this question to the disciples from the Pharisees he said it is not those who are it is not those who are healthy who need a physician but those who are sick Now, let let me just kind of help you understand more fully what's going on here. Tax collectors and sinners, the former were outcasts because they collected tax for the uh, Roman oppressors. The latter were social pariah because they failed to obey Mosaic law and rabbinic traditions, that tradition developed by men. They were spiritually sick. In Jesus' analogy... And he is the physician of the soul. In fact, he is the only doctor who can heal the sin-sick soul. In our in medical profession, they have specialists, an oncologist, a lung specialist, a thoracic surgeon, etc. You know all that stuff. 
They specialize. That's the, their focus of their practice because they develop expertise and skills and knowledge so they can address it. There's only one doctor of the soul. His name is Jesus. He specializes in sin sick souls. He has expertise in dealing with the sin sick soul. He knows how to heal it. He, he knows how to fix the broken sinner. And that's why he was around them. And that's what he did for us. There was never a case too difficult for him. He didn't have to consult with other people in the field because he has all the answers. So he's the physician. When he heard this, he said, those who are healthy. It's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Every sinner, every man saved Jesus Christ who's ever born in this world, man, woman, boy, or girl, was born spiritually sick. Here comes the great physician. Now, this is Jesus' uh, reprimand to these guys. But go and learn what this means. Let me stop here. Go and learn. Jesus saying, you ought to already know this. In other words, he's saying, you don't know this. You need to go somewhere and learn. Don't come challenging me. <laughs> go, go learn what the scripture says. He says from Hosea 6, 6, I desire, here's the word, compassion and not sacrifice. That word compassion can be rendered here mercy from the original. What I love about this here is Jesus quoting Hosea, who was giving the word of God, is giving what God desires. And Jesus, who is God in, the hum in human flesh, is saying, this is what I desire. He desires mercy to sinners. He wanted to save them, not condemn them. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel said to Joseph, he will save his people from their sins. That's why he came. John three seventeen says this, for God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The world there refers to the realm of humanity and more particularly for, to those who will believe they will be saved. So Jesus' whole point in coming to the world was to save sinners. That's why he was around sinners. And he says in verse 13 of this passage of Matthew, For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That word call means the call to salvation. The righteous ones are the people who think they don't need it like the scribes and the Pharisees. They thought they were all right. 
They thought they had it together spiritually. They thought, I, I don't need what Jesus is. They, they didn't realize they were sick. Spiritually sick. That's why in Luke 18, you recall the story. Jesus gave the parable. The Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee, he talked about all his spiritual achievements. He thought he was okay. He didn't know he was sick and dying. Let me tell you, if you're not a Christian, you're sick and dying. Spiritually. That's the divine diagnosis from Dr. Jesus. And he's the one who can deliver. Now, he says, I've come to call, didn't come to call the righteous, the sinners. May I say this to us? We're to mimic our Savior, right? Blessed are the merciful, Jesus says in the text we're looking at this morning. The, merc- the most merciful thing we can do with respect to sinners is to call them to saving faith in Christ. The most merciful thing we can do for lost men and women is to share the gospel of Christ with them. They need the mercy of God that comes through faith in Christ. We can pray for them. Pray for their salvation. Somebody you uh, work with and you're not happy with them, they're lost, be merciful. Pray for them. Pray that the Lord will save them. You say, well, they're nasty to me. I don't have a lot of care for them. Um, Is that your case? Somebody I heard say yes. I hear you. I know what you're saying. Everybody's got to deal with that, right? Good, I'm glad you said so. Luke chapter 6. Verse 35 and verse 36. Here our Lord speaks to his people. But love your enemies. And do good. And lend. Expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the most high. Meaning you'll mimic him. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Hmm. We're to be like him. Verse 36. Be merciful. Just as your father is merciful. So whoever those people are in your life. They're like this. Mimic your heavenly father. Be merciful to them. Be like God. 
It's what it means to be a follower of Christ. We don't act like the world. We act like our Father in heaven. Now we uh, seen the heading salvation. May we look at the heading service. It's hinted at in that text I just read. Matthew 6 verse 2. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> but I want to give you a little a foretaste in connection to what we're dealing with. S- verse 2 it says, so when you give to the poor. Then Jesus goes on to say, you know, you don't blow a trumpet you don't let everybody know look at me but what I want to focus on for this day only is this those words give to the poor the text can be translated this way when you therefore do acts of mercy that's what the Greek can, says this is how it can be translated when therefore you do acts of mercy So giving to help those who don't have, that is an act of mercy. It's meeting a physical need. It's practical action. And that's what Jesus calls his followers to do. And we're familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan. It includes includes a practice of mercy. In Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37, there is that story. And the story is a man wanted to know how he could get eternal life. And Jesus lets it, let him know that uh, you can't do it by doing good. You got to do it perfectly. You use an illustration. You, you have to do good things to people. Not to be saved, but an expression a transformed life, your neighbor. In verse 33 of uh, Luke chapter 10 of that passage, it says that the Samaritan felt compassion for the robbed and beaten man who was a Jew. In verse 37 of Luke 10, Jesus uses the word mercy. Meeting the man's physical need, alleviating his suffering, providing for his lodging. All of these were acts of mercy. Hmm. That's how we're to respond to our neighbor. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So there is to be the meeting of physical needs. We're to be merciful people. Salvation, service, secure is the next heading. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. Here's the part we're going to focus on now. For they shall receive mercy. We are blessed by God when we are merciful to others. And we are able to be merciful to others because we have already received salvation's mercy. Right? 
In obedience to God, we're to show mercy to others. When we do, God pours out his mercy on us. God is in heaven. He sees what we do. And when we reflect his character and we're merciful to people, he pours out mercy on us. And let me tell you something. There is coming a day when you're going to need some mercy. Amen. It's post-conversion mercy. You're going to need God to withhold something from you because you have sinned. Yeah, you're going to need some mercy. Do you not know you do yourself good when you're merciful? Proverbs eleven seventeen says this, the merciful man does himself good. But the cruel man does himself harm. Mercy. is what we're to be engaged in. When we're merciful, God is merciful to us. So you want to do that. Proverbs 25, verse 21, and verse 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head. And get this last clause. And the Lord will reward you. Paul picks this thought in Romans 12. It's how we're to respond. In obedience to God, we're to show mercy to others. When we do, God pours out his mercy on us. I repeated that. So remember it. And that mercy includes the extension of forgiveness to other believers. Anybody have a hard time forgiving? They've uh, done you wrong. This whole notion of forgiveness is a can be for some people a real challenge. I mean, let me say something here. When we forgive, we don't forget because we remember, but when we forgive, the emotional load of that is gone. Forget the emotion. Forget that. Forgive them. Matthew 18, verse 21. Familiar text. I'm just kind of walk through it briefly here. Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? He answers his own question up to seven times. See, what Peter did said, you know, the rabbi said three times I've added, I've doubled and added one. So I get to seven. Jesus says, no, verse 22 said 490 times what it comes out to. And then he says, uh, he gives a story, verse 23, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven. What the kingdom of heaven is like. People are in the rule of God. Under that rule, we're his subjects. He is the monarch. And he tells about a man who was uh, forgiven a debt that he couldn't pay. And the king, representing God, just forgave him. That's what it says in verse 27. The Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt, an unpayable debt. 
You would think after that, the guy would say, man, I cannot believe how blessed I am. All this debt's forgiven. Verse 28, but that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, far less amount than what he owed the king. And he seized him and began to choke him. Violent, isn't he? Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. Similar words that he had used, the man himself had been forgiven. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he owed. Oh, what a wonderful guy. Here's something fascinating I want you to grasp. Verse 31, so when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that happened. Here's the deal. When fellow Christians see other Christians failing to forgive other Christians, it grieves those other Christians who see that. Because they know that you ought to forgive. And you say, no, I'm going to make them pay. And they go tell the Lord. The Lord summoned that one had been forgiven and called him a wicked slave. He said, you should have had, verse 33, here it is. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way I had mercy on you? There we are. The Lord was angry, his Lord, representing God. Because of the unforgiveness of this man. And he says, hand you over to the torturers. What I think this means, what other commentators believe it means, is this. Stress, hardship, pressures, difficulties, chastening. God will chasten his people when they refuse to forgive. Because he's going to move you from that unholiness in your life of unforgiveness to holiness. So we'll bring those things into your life until you forgive. And he'll hand them over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Um, the idea is repayment is simply this. Just forgive the person. You want to know how you can be forgiving? Think about all your sins. Sins you committed against him. Far greater than the sins you had committed against you. Far greater. Forgiveness. Haddon Robinson tells the story about uh, the small town Oklahoma boy who had deeply embarrassed his family and community by ending up in prison. While he was in the penitentiary, he heard very little from his folks at home. They were illiterate, so writing was not easy. Yet he wasn't sure whether writing was their problem or if they had simply given up on him. When it came near the time for his release, he wrote his parents that he was coming through their town on the train. The train ran past the, his parents' backyard, so he told them to tie a white ribbon on the apple tree 
if they could forgive and accept him. If he did not see a ribbon, he would keep on going and be out of their lives forever. As expected, the man did not get a written response from his parents. He finally left prison and boarded a train for his hometown. As he got closer to the town, he was so overcome with emotion that he moved from his window seat. He had related his story to a nearby passenger and sighed, quote, I can't bear to look out the window. Will you look for me? When they came to the town and passed his house, the passenger grabbed his leg and whispered, The whole tree is white with ribbons. This is what God in his mercy has done for us. You see, there was a tree shaped like a cross. There was no white ribbon on it, but nailed to it was Jesus. Fairy forgave us. Now we can hang out the white ribbons of forgiveness to others. That's the mercy of forgiveness. In Jude 21, it says this, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus. Jude 21 is telling us about the final mercy to us, the mercy of the fullness of eternal life, secured by Jesus Christ on the cross in his death. There's a song we sing here. Clues these lyrics. Mercy there was great, and great grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. That's why we are merciful people. Because God has been merciful to us. And for all eternity, we're going to praise him for his mercy. Thank him for his mercy. When we see the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world, when we see the nail prints in his hands, we see nail prints in his feet, we'll see mercy for us. You're here this morning and you've not experienced that mercy in your life. Will you receive the mercy that God offers you in Jesus Christ? He died to free sinners from their misery of sin. Free them from ultimate punishment for their sin. He died that you may have mercy rather than misery. The question is to you, will you accept his mercy or will you spurn it? We invite you to turn to him. Come to him. Come in repentant faith to him. Acknowledging your sinfulness. Acknowledging you deserve nothing but death and hell. Acknowledging that it is only the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ that can save you. And you're going to turn to him in faith. And trust him alone as your savior. 
He invites you to come to him today. Let us bow together in prayer. Our God and our Father, we thank you for the, the great mercy of God, you, through your Son, Christ, in application of the truths of the gospel to our hearts who are believers. We came undeserving of anything from your hand, but receiving from you great grace and mercy. Bless your name. Pray for those in this room now who are without Jesus Christ. Maybe they're religious like the Pharisees. Maybe they've been in church. Maybe they've heard the gospel, but they've really never trusted you by faith in your son. Maybe they've never been in a church before, never grew up in it. Just pray you save them. Pray you bring them to yourself for your own glory and for their eternal joy. And to give you praise for their, your kindness to them in Christ. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.